Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready. Birdie, I just want to fly free and own a piece of land somewhere, somewhere off in a country. Oh, listen. Temperatures like a hundred degrees. I got chains for me Black male in the family of three Been proud of my destiny Reckon I'll fly away Cause it's too much for the man Shouldn't have gone down this way What happened to my master plan Cause I can't figure out I could have been a love child Shouldn't have gone down this way Tell me how did I get lost? Oh, yeah. Talk to me. Oh, oh, oh. I get lost? Tell me. Each and every week, right here, Monday night, 7 to 8 p.m., about what's at stake for us 
socially, economically, and politically. And today, across the country, America is under the greatest strain since 1918. Americans are living under uh, a life sentence, a life sentence with COVID-19, a life sentence that they were given not because they committed any crime, not because they were accomplice to any crime. No, Americans have been given this life sentence because of the individual whom we have identified as a commander-in-chief who has deemed American lives expendable, expendable for the purpose of personal gratification, expendable for the purpose of personal economic gain, expendable for the purpose of covering up the truth, and expendable for the purpose of the stock market. Americans have been deemed expendable under the guise of fighting an invisible enemy for which we're at war with, but yet we are still not fighting that enemy as if we were in a war. And as we all know, when at war, there are casualties. And this individual has decided that as many as 200,000 Americans, nearly 10% of our nation's population is expendable. 200,000 so that he can be reelected. 200,000 so that he and his family can rob American taxpayers. 200,000 American lives are expendable so he and his cronies can capitalize on American carnage. 52,000, actually 55,000, 55,000 Americans have died at the hands of this individual. And he is the single most dangerous impediment to this crisis. It's purely criminal what he has done. And recently, telling Americans to inject themselves with disinfectant is downright murder. If it wasn't so real, it could be humorous as he said, he was being sarcastic at a time when he needed to be presidential. He was being sarcastic at a time when he should have been empathetic. He was being sarcastic at a time when he actually should have been knowledgeable of what the Sam H he was actually talking about. But no, across the country, African-Americans are dying like plants without water. They are dying alone. They are dying in, in, in harms in terms of pure agony, the health disparities and the lack of testing, the systematic racial bias, the lack of access to quality care, the economic strain placed on African-Americans, and the inability to even get to the hospital for treatment have all created these barriers, increasing the mortality rates for my brothers and sisters more than any other race that is infected by this coronavirus. People, this is not the common flu, as we were told. It won't just disappear with warm weather. It's not just going to, you know, pass away by March or excuse me, by May 1st so that everything can be okay. But it will be a miracle when it's gone. Joining me tonight to discuss the life sentence that America has been given by this administration and the COVID-19 virus is Dr. Judy Lubin, sociologist, policy analyst, racial justice activist, and founder of the Center for Urban and Racial Equality, CURE. She is a well-respected researcher and voice, and a voice related to public health and racial equity. She is also a researcher in the Department of Sociology and Criminology at Howard University, where she leads community-centered urban research initiatives. Dr. Lubin has devoted her career to promoting equity and improving outcomes for the underserved marginalized community. And also joining us tonight, returning to us, for another experience here uh, there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is State Representative uh, Jason Fields. 
He is the CEO of Global X. He's a former stockbroker, financial advisor, and banker. He represents the 11th Assembly District in Milwaukee. He serves on the Financial Institution, Insurance, Job, and Economics Committee, as well as the Small Business and Ways and Means Committees. Also, join us next week. Uh, we will be reaching out to our, our friend and brother, uh, Mr. Antoine Ford. Uh, he was going to be on the show tonight, but he is now going to uh, join us next week as we talk about the money that's going to be put out there for small businesses, especially black businesses that didn't get any this time around. But until then, tonight, let's welcome Dr. Judy Lubin and uh, my brother, Representative Jason Fields, to the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, Kel. So good to be good here, to have you. Well, good to have you as well. Good to have you as well. I want to thank you, Dr. Lubin, for joining us. Uh, your first time here on Black Politics Today, so I really appreciate you making the time and taking the time out to join us um, and giving your extensive resume and understanding of what exactly is going on and what you're doing with your foundation um, and your organization, as well as how many, you know, all the issues that you speak on across the country and the globe dealing with racial disparities and health uh, inequities. Uh, talk to me about, in your recent article, you discussed COVID as being the perfect storm for systematic inequalities impacting our community across the country and various states and as just in general. Talk to me about that and explain to us what you mean by the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion over the past couple of weeks, particularly as we've gotten more data, as we've gotten any data, really and what's been happening with COVID-19 and, and, and the revelation of, you know, disparate impact, particularly in the black community. It's no surprise to any of us, particularly those of us who have been working on health equity and racial equity is, issues. We know and have known for decades that black folks have uh, the worst health care in this country. We have the worst health status and the worst uh, health outcomes. And so when you, layer that on top of the socioeconomic conditions, um, poverty rates, uh, lack of paid sick leave. Um, We are on the front lines, the essential workers that are day in and day out keeping the economy going, um, but not receiving a living wage in order to support ourselves and our families. So you layer that on top of all of the ways in which structural racism shape our day-to-day experiences, and that produces poor health. And then you layer that on top of, you know, a massive global pandemic in which we see large-scale government systemic failure. You know, all the things that you um, mentioned in your, in your opening, right, where there was just sort of a lackadaisical attitude um, from the White House on the seriousness of this pandemic. And we know that when we have major crises or disasters, and when government fails, the perfect example is Katrina, right, that our communities get hit, get hit the hardest. And so we're seeing the we're, – we're bearing um, the brunt of, of, of government um, inadequacies, a lack of leadership on top of all of the systemic inequities that we've already been experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And, and looking at that, I'm, I'm, I, you, you brought up Katrina, and it just – it triggered something with me because – when I think about that, I think about that being 2005, and here we are, 2020, and unfortunately, we're still suffering from the same, uh, same, same issues or same things that we've been dealing with. How do we 
actually actively and, and effectively change these dynamics and how we are how we're being dealt with, but how we take charge of our own destiny in some form or fashion to try to change this. I mean, are we going to have to wait until we're the majority to be able to do this? Shouldn't we start doing this now and, and trying to figure out some ways of being able to position ourselves so that when, you know, Brock and Brown are, are the majority and hopefully that turns into a majority in terms of position and, and other things that we can actually make some of these changes so we can get rid of the systemic racism, racism and racial bias to actually get the health care that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is work that's already happening and work that we have to accelerate and deepen. Right now, we have to build power. We have to be clear about what we need to be asking for. We need fundamental change, you know, things like universal health care, you know, Medicare for all type of program. A number of the things that we've I've already mentioned in terms of, you know, paid sick leave. Um, we need, uh, we have an affordable housing crisis in our city. It's something that we work on at, at the Center for Urban and Racial Equity. We've been working in St. Louis with housing organizations in Brooklyn, in San Francisco. All across the country, we're seeing the same patterns of inequity. And so when we see, you know, similar patterns, we have to look at what are those root causes are, what those root causes are, and they lie in policy. They lie in, um, you know, in, in policies that can be changed. And so I'm glad you have Representative Fields on because that's part of the strategy, right, that we have to have elected officials that are grounded in community, that understand the issues, and that have a mission and agenda to transform, you know, our cities and to transform this country through policy change. And so we have to be clear on, you know, what that policy agenda looks like. And then, and then we not only as as citizens, right, exercising not only our power to vote, but also to, you know, to, to demand, to demand changes, but then also electing officials so that they, when they are in, in positions of power, that they are representing us and that they um, are, are carrying the mantle and fighting for, for, for real change. So, uh, Jason, that's a perfect segue for you, my brother, because the last time we spoke, it was the day before your uh, your election there in Milwaukee. Yeah. You guys were having in-person elections. And as that's a result right. of that, um, I want to first give a shout out to the Supreme Court justice who won. I can't think of her name right now, but we were talking about her. I was furious about the whole thing that was going on. Oh, but I sat yeah. there and I said a prayer on this show and I said, Lord, please just just put it back in their face. For everything they did, put it back in their face. And when I woke <laughs> up and heard a week later that she won, you saw me tweeting and texting you and I was like, Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Yes, that's what they get. They shouldn't have messed with us in the first place and we're gonna slam them again. <laughs> But I was so excited, you know, my brother. Is, uh, and, and thank you, Dr. Lubin. I mean, I'm glad you're on. I couldn't wait to hear uh, your analysis. I mean, Kels, thanks for organizing this. But I think, Dr., you're, she's absolutely right. I mean, the reality, and I've said this before, bro, you asked, if you're not at the table, then you're probably on the menu. And exactly. we, have to get, we have to get out of this mindset of waiting for certain people to do right. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. And so mm-hmm. when you realize that, then the question becomes, what do we need to do from a strategic point of view? And that starts with, you know, what's the strategic game plan? And it, it, one of the old aspects is, are we electing people who, you know, not just because they're black, but they're qualified 
and right. they have a strategy on where we need to go. Um, I'm going to say this, and I'm critical of a little bit of our people sometimes because, you know, we like to vote for the people who jump up and down and scream and shout amen. That's cool when you're in church. But when you're in a business environment, when you're in politics, you need to be able to take that spirit and be effective in being able to get some things done. You need to be able to get at the table. And so um, I lost the comptroller's race, and here's where the strategy comes into play. Really quickly, I lost by 998 votes. About 80,000 people voted. They shut down. We had 180 voting locations. They shut down all of those with the exception of five. Milwaukee right. is the largest city in the state of Wisconsin. Right. Then you said when Republican controlled, well, we're not going to move election dates. We're not going to change that. So your option is either go and risk yourself expose yourself to a potential deadly virus in the predominantly African-American voting wards or mm-hmm. don't vote at all. Mm-hmm. And so that was the that was the predicament and situation that they put this community in. So long story short, we have to look at why it's important to start getting at polls to vote in people who wouldn't even put us in those kinds of predicaments in the first place. Uh, there's a power structure that protects itself. And so when you look at the failed systems of government, particularly when it comes to African Americans and this COVID-19, just to give you some statistics, Wisconsin has over 6,000 uh, people, 6,000 people tested for, for the coronavirus. Now, that's tested. Out of those tested, uh, Doc and uh, Kale, Milwaukee has roughly 50% of those cases and 167 deaths. So that means majority of the cases of the coronavirus are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is like an 18-mile uh, diameter city. So the question becomes, well, what do we need to do? Number one, and I agree with the doctor, you got to start getting strategic, and it starts with who are you collecting as your leaders, um, and what are their game plans and what are their strategies? Are they taking in mental health? Are they taking in the fact that there's a huge disparity from, you know, African-Americans receiving health care. We have stories here where people were sick and, brother, they sent them away from the hospital, didn't right. even test them. And, and so and you think about that, then what's the, what's the repercussions? And so, again, we have to be almost, we have to have a by any means necessary attitude because at this point, uh, if we don't figure this out, this is only going to get worse. It really is, and um, some of the things that uh, that even resulted from your your votes is now you got like fifty or sixty people who got infected as a result of going out there to vote, That's which right. means that That's there's right. actually probably two to three hundred more people infected because exactly. those fifty touched at least three to five other people, and now you're going to have another election coming up on the um, on May twelfth, I think it is, or May second, May second or May twelfth. Right. Uh, it's supposed uh, to be in the, person. Um, yep. uh, how is how is that going to uh, take place? Is the governor going to step up and say, uh, "I'm going to file another lawsuit now that he has evidence of people actually getting sick or or at least having some results of this in person voting shedding light on even a poll worker?" So we know the poll worker, she wasn't sick or he wasn't sick beforehand. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been out there. Right. So we know that that Correct. individual certainly got sick as a result of this. Um, and clearly those other 50, they can argue, but 
clearly they weren't sick before then either. Is there going to be something new Correct. happen so that we don't have that problem, especially in the city of Milwaukee? Well, we're, they're looking. We're in, we're in court now. Um, you know, they're in court now, debating or arguing because the Republicans sued the governor over, um, you know, this this uh, stay 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 at safer at home ordinance that he that he executed. Meaning, we want to try to flatten the curve, but Republicans went to the legislature and said, "Listen, we don't want that." You know, of course, they were backed by some people, some strong interests, saying, "We don't want that. We want business to open up." They had protesters, and so we're going to look. We believe that we'll win that court case, but again, um, you know, Wisconsin is a very conservative, purple-reddish state um, right. where segregation is high, man. And so, right. uh, I think that I think we'll win it. Uh, you know, I've learned not to cross my fingers on a lot of this stuff. I, 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 you know, I pray, um, but we'll see. You know, it's a conservative Supreme Court. <laughs> um, granted, we won um, a seat. You know this last election, but the reality is this: there is a double standard, uh, Kelly, here in Wisconsin. What do I mean by that? The city just the governor issued a safer at home order, meaning no one is supposed to go out. I meaning you're not unless you're walking, exercising, doing things that'll benefit us from a health perspective. Then yeah, the individuals outside of Milwaukee held a protest, violating that law. No arrest, ticketing. No mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Now you and I know if that would have been a group of African Americans or black folks, there would oh, have yeah. been several arrests, several oh, tickets. Yeah. And so what you have is this this um as Doc said, you have this inability of the system to be to be equitable, to treat mm-hmm. people fairly. <clears throat> uh, right. with health care and even the way we're handling this coronavirus. And so And and some parts we, of me, uh Jason, I don't mean to cut you off, but some parts of me I no. want us to mask up Rifle up and go up there and stand on the opposite side of they they behind and see how they respond because you know if they, if, if, if they got ten exactly that. if they got ten and we come up with twenty five bruh you know what's gonna happen right <laughs> and, and and walk up and kind of pull your chamber back just to let them know once you get up there yeah okay doctor get okay. I'm, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. Before we have to go get him. Look, look, I'm serious, okay? I am very serious. Well, you serious. know the Second Amendment doesn't apply to us. And that's why I want to go, because all them people think that the Second Amendment applies to them, but they haven't read the actual Constitution because it does not apply to them. The Supreme Court let that's that right. mess happen, okay? But the Constitution, that they nothing about everybody and their mama carrying a gun, okay? <laughs> but they want to keep saying it. So since it does say that, I'm going to strap up and carry my AK-47, my M10, my Mac-20, and my Uzi, and walk on up there, right? And we're going to get a couple of females, just like they get to, and they're going to have them strapped up, too, with some, like in the old West time, we had the bullets all around it. Remember when, you know, they carried the bullets down around here? I'm serious. I, I'm so sick and tired of these people, and I, I want to say some things, but some of my listeners are going to twix and tweet me afterwards, so I won't say it. So I'm going to go to you, Dr. Lewis. No. <laughs> Let me go to you because um, something that Jason said was like, you know, Milwaukee has tested these many people. But in the reality is that the test may have been used, but that's not the actual number of people being tested because this dude down at mm-hmm. 1,500 keeps saying we've tested 500 million, 5 million people down. No, we haven't tested 5 million people. We've only tested less than a million, barely a million at that. We've used 5 million tests if we've even done that. 
but even with that, and and, and we and I, and I I'm in this Twitter war with these asinine Trump sycophants um, who keep telling me we've tested more than any other country or anything, and I keep telling them actually no we haven't. We have not tested more than anybody else because if you look at it per capita, and even just the number of tests we've done, we don't know how mm-hmm. many people actually been tested. We only know how many tests have been used. The I the what Jason also said is that you have people being turned away who want to come in and get tested and are sick, but they're African Americans. In your um, article, you you talked about uh, how we're leaving to uh, the the healthcare provider or the nurse or the person that's there to make those determining factors of who actually get tested. And even you, you cite the example of Rana uh, Mugen, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it correctly, and how she went back three times and it was only until the third time that they actually tested her. But then uh, I think you said she ended up in a coma or something of that nature. Um, but if I look at and think about Zycam, Zycam says it's the first sign of the cold or flu, take this. Why are we waiting until they actually have the virus to test them after they've gone back and infected everybody else? If they have one symptom, that should be enough to test them so that they can know to quarantine rather than sitting there saying, well, wait till you come back with three more and then we'll test you. By that time, there's no need for a test. We're wasting tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the te- so there's been so many failures at at every level of the government response to this pandemic. There's you know failure in leadership and messaging failure, and then there's there's a testing failure, which has been a huge one, right? That set us behind in terms of being able to get a full uh, scope of how the pandemic was playing out and is playing out here in the U.S. A step back and acknowledge um, Raina Mungin, who I mentioned in the article. Um, she died today, and oh, wow. it's really upsetting. You know, wow. I referenced her in the article wow. as an example. You know, because she went three times. She was having symptoms and was turned away and was not tested. And it's gotten to the point now where I've been saving articles. I've been seeing the same thread. You know, black folks have gone in three, four times to get tested. To, to, to be treated and turned away and then we die. And so there's something seriously wrong here. And, um, you know, she passed away today. And, and, and you know, and, and people are dying, right, because of, of the spelled response. Um, the, the testing situation, um, we're at about a, a 1 million tests a week. And mm-hmm. you know, some experts are saying we need to be at least at three to five million tests or more um, a week. Um, and so there were a lot of other problems with the testing, right, in terms of tests were being located. Um, there right. were some initial reports that, that were showing that most of the tests, that, that, you know, across the U.S., there were, the testing locations were in, in white, wealthy um, right. neighborhoods as opposed to the mm-hmm. high-risk communities right. of color and low-income communities. And then you had the drive-through testing. What, what if you don't have a car? What, what were your options mm-hmm. then? Now we're starting to see some more, you know, some more informed equity responses in terms of okay, we need mobile testing. We need to be able to have people walk up to a testing location. Um, and so, so, so continued failure with the testing. Then you know, even with the, the age restrictions, and, and that you know, you know, I understand, you know, older folks are particularly vulnerable. Um, and so when there were fewer tests, the tests were being um, rationed essentially by age. But that also left a lot of people out, particularly black folks who tend to get 
the underlying conditions like diabetes and hypertension at much more earlier ages in our 40s. Um, and so, so when you have, you know, all of these structures that are set up, um, they're supposedly race neutral and race blind, but then they still end up reproducing the same um, racial inequity. And so, you know, that lets us know that, you know, there just was not a, a, a racial equity lens um, guiding this, this pandemic at all. The data was not being collected for us to understand who was being tested, who was being turned away, um, hospitalization rates, death rates. Um, you know, so so we only the CDC a few about a week or so ago some some preliminary data, and about 75% of those cases did not have racial ethnic or ethnic data. But even with the data that they do have, you know, uh, we represent 30% uh, of those cases. Uh, of coronavirus across the country are among among black people, and we're only about 13, 14% of the population. So there's still a lot for us to know and to understand, and the testing and the lack of, of data collection is a huge failure um, as part of this pandemic. And when the story, story gets told, um, you know, it's the cases like Raina Mungin that there's unfortunately one too many um, of those cases. It really is. Um, and so... Yeah, and so it's it's a it's a travesty, um, and so we have to continue to ask for the data, ask for the reporting, lift up the stories, and to say the names of black people who are dying and not receiving the care that we need. It is. I'm gonna take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, uh, uh, Jason, uh, your 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 speaker out there was fully dressed, and uh, it it was sickening, man. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back. Uh, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus. So if you have a fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your healthcare provider before going in. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now, back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams, and uh, we just want to 
Thank you for joining us tonight. My guest tonight is Dr. Judy Lubin. She is a sociologist, a policy analyst, a political activist, and the founder and CEO of Cure, um, the uh, um, Center for Urban and Racial Equity. Uh, many of you are familiar with Cure. You see them all around uh, doing many of studies, but also being quite active in the community, especially in the uh, urban areas and throughout the country. Also joining us is Representative Jason Fields from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He represents the 11th District of Milwaukee, and he's also the CEO of uh, Global X financial uh, services firm there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Uh, Jason, as I said, yeah. I, was, I was sitting there on election day that you guys were having watching your uh, uh, speaker uh, fully protected in a PPE. Yeah. Out there yeah. telling people, I mean, mask, shield. I mean, he looked like he was commit. He's going to do surgery. <laughs> surgery telling people, yeah. telling people, it is perfectly fine to come out and vote. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> I was, yeah, <laughs> Jason. I was so. I mean, I, I was so upset, Jason. I, there's so many words I want to say right now, Jason. But I'm gonna get so many text <laughs> messages and tweets after I say it. I was so pissed off. I want. I. I I just wanted to pimp slap his ass, Jason. I just couldn't take it. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? Are you serious? He was grabbed um, up and then telling people to go out there and vote. And that was another reason why I was so glad that the young lady won the Supreme Court because I was like, that's yeah. what your ass gets. That's what you get. You out there because fully it, dressed, protecting yeah. your own ass, but you don't care about nobody else. Yeah, it was... Um... Now, and I'll tell you what, what's deep about this whole thing. And there are times where, look, you're a Democrat and you're Republican, and I always tell people there are times where you just black because the because sometimes exactly. depending on who you are, those are the those are just different wings on the same bird. And so, the speaker and and I know when we you know full gear, you you're right. If you look online, it, it looks like he's about to do major surgery. Now here's the here's the here's the issue with that, the enti- that entire where he was at that polling location, everyone who worked at that polling location had the same gear, so it wasn't just him. Mm. But then that brings a bigger question. Exactly, if mm. that's the case, then why didn't we see that same um, that exactly. same vigor? Why didn't we see that same level of protection right. at areas where there were other of predominantly African-American voters, Latino voters, why didn't we see that same kind of caution if that was the case? Now, here's where I say there are times where this is this coronavirus, yeah, Democrats and Republicans are looking at it from a strategy point of view in politics, but as African-Americans, we got to be black and safe. And so here's the issue that I've had. This is where we had a mayoral race at the time. We had the first African-American woman running for mayor. The mayor of the city who ended up quarantining himself, get this, moved to the moved to one of the predominantly larger voting wards or polling locations where predominantly African Americans. Went there to say he was checking on the polling location. Uh, there's a law that says you can't do that, you're not supposed to be anywhere. Leaves that location, then quarantines himself for fourteen days and then shuts down that polling location. 
didn't make a fuss about opening polling locations or keeping polling locations open. And so here you have an almost weird dynamic where you have Republicans because they wanted the Supreme Court seat because we all know when more African Americans don't vote, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that benefits them. But right. here you had a mayor of the same city going against the first-time African-American woman who, quite honestly, benefited from those same strategies. This is where being African-American trumps politics because, again, the Speaker of the House looked like he was about to perform surgery. Right. Why didn't we get that same level right. of service and care in the African-American wars, in the Latino wars? Now you see because we have the polling locations open, even though we, we rigged the numbers, they rigged the numbers, rigged the voting, now you see more people getting sick after the election because they were all mm-hmm. exposed into five locations. 200-some thousand people exposed to five locations. There's no way in the world. Uh, that, and that didn't happen anywhere else except for the largest city with the largest African-American population in the state. And and the and the, the the sad part about that is that that may return because as a result of yes. those people getting sick and the news and you know people knowing that those people got sick, they're probably less likely now to go out there and do that. And if they That's haven't requested right. absentee, if they haven't requested absentee ballot, or if your That's state is one of those right. states where it says you can only request if you're going to be out of town on vacation or you're incapacitated and then you got to get a witness and all this other crap. Then you have even a double whammy, and and see this this oh my God. see this is these are the things that that get my blood boiling, that that gets me to the highest of festivity, and make me want to just travel the country and and really just yell, shake, cuss, and 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 shake people out and say, look, people, black folks, this is serious yeah. business. Yes, this it is. is serious business. And and what bothers me more, Dr. Lubin, is that when we don't understand the political game, as as Jason was talking about, Representative Fields was talking about, when we don't understand the political game and we think it's, it's, it's just uh, something about voting and we think it's just about voting, uh, we don't take in consideration a thought process of what the census does and why the census is so important or what reapportionment does and why redistricting is so important, why the uh, uh, state of Wisconsin has a 26, I think it's 26 or 36 seat advantage, uh, Republican yeah. Democrat, because they have gerrymandered all these districts. And at the same time, you got the Supreme Court saying it's okay. So now it's going to mm-hmm. be even worse if, if in a lot of states, if, um, you know, People don't show up to vote or get out to vote, and if this pandemic is still going on in November, it's going to be worse. So now you you, you add on the health disparity, you add on the economic mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know mm-hmm. income disparities, you add on the social disparities, you add on educational and housing disparities. You, I mean, there's so many goddamn disparities that we had to fight and deal with that it's just crazy that we're not paying attention and recognizing, as I said in my previous question, from 2005 to 2020, what the hell are we waiting for? And why are we still having to fight this fight and not recognize that we need to put people in place, like you said, to do what we need them to do? Where do we go? How do we get here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up the census, right, because we're in that process right now. And the census right. is 
it's part of the recovery, right? It's part of the recovery response to coronavirus, right? That we need to make sure that we are filling out those census forms, that we're talking to our family, to our friends. And we need to get we're that message out there, media. too. We have to get that message get the out message there out that there. it's a recovery. This, the census is our recovery to get back or take back that that has been taken or, or we lost. I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, and this is important, right, because the census helps determine, you know, districts, right, and, and particularly, right. you know, the, 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 you know, Congress is important, but we're seeing now, I think, you know, I hope folks are seeing now how important local infrastructure is and state leadership right. is, right, um, because you, you look at even what, what some of the governors are doing, and, and even before, before coronavirus, but also some of the, the state legislators, they were preempting decisions at the local level, um, and you're seeing, you know, some of this tension where, like in, in, in states like in Mississippi and Georgia, where you have black mayors trying to protect uh, members mm-hmm. of their community, and then you have this, the, uh, the, the state leadership preempting the decisions that they're making in terms of trying to keep people safe at home and, and passing these, these um, policies to override um, decisions at the, at, the, at the local level. And so all of these things are, are connected, and the census is a part of that, right, in terms of, 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 of determining who, the number of representatives you, you have, right, and, and those, those district lines. So, so census is, is critical. It's, it's part of the recovery. We need to be thinking, you know, what, what are those agenda items on the local level, on the state level, um, and on the federal level in terms of change and transformation and the recovery process? And one of right. the bright sides of, 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 of what we've been seeing over the past few weeks is that, you know, folks were organizing and, 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 and vocal about the need to stop evictions, um, the need for, well, we got at least a temporary um, paid sick leave, paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. We have um, coverage for in the CARES Act for treatment for coronavirus. So how do we keep pushing? We have to keep pushing on the things that people say are not going to happen. You know, I was watching C-SPAN uh, this morning, right, and there was someone on there saying, we don't even talk about universal health coverage because uh, we don't think that's going to happen in this country. Um, and so, so, so we can't buy into those notions either, right? Um, and so, so we have to continue to be, we have to be clear about what we need, and we have to continue to ask for them even when it looks like we can't get them, right, because part of this is also yes. a narrative game that we have to tell Absolutely. the stories, that we have to have a clear That's message amazing. and keep, keep at that message because at some point there's going to be an opening, and so we have to be ready for that opening. And so part of, you know, what we're able to see now with some of the paid sick leave and even the gig workers, right, getting unemployment, that's a huge leap. Um, and so, you know, that's because of conversations people have been having over the past few years so that when there's an opportunity for us, to inject what we what is a more equitable policy, a more equitable vision for this country, we have to be ready to go on that. But the problem we have, Doctor, and and I see it often, especially in the political field and political realm, and and just in, in our in our culture, our our race in general, is that we don't seem to identify or follow in a collective message, even if there may be subparts of that message. We can have one message and put it out there, even though we may disagree with the the, the message itself or the execution of the message, and then collectively behind the scenes, get behind how we 
implement and do what we need to do. But as an aggregate race, we need to have a message that we can put out there so that we don't have a lone star saying something contrary to what we're saying that can overpower what the collective is saying. So a lot of times we have, you know, yes, we need health care. We need universal health care. And then you'll have a lone star say, well, yeah, but that's going to do this, that's going to do this. And like I had a guy on last week. A guy last week says to me, he doesn't believe in universal health care or Medicare for all because, you know, that doesn't, that's, that's going to be, you know, bad for us. It's not going to do right for the country. Unfortunately, he hung up because I was asking him too many questions before we said to him or got to the point of he was a senior citizen. So as a senior citizen, he had Medicare himself. But then I was also going to ask him if he was a veteran. Because as mm-hmm. veterans, they all have Medicare, and that system in Medicare is quote unquote one, and they they love love it. They you know um, rail on it. They say it's the best thing that they have because they can get to their doctors, things of that nature. There was some system glitches, but the point is, is that all of them, all our veterans have Medicare. They go in free of charge. They get what they need. They get what they want to do. But then you have the lone person who will speak out, and. And it's always hard to get us to coalesce and get behind a message that we can actually uh, push forward. Unlike the days of, of the marches and things of that nature, we're not sold on any one black person trying to lead us. And we're not sold on any one message because we all have our personal agendas because unfortunately we still have mentalities that I know best. I know best. I know best. we can have everybody that knows best in the same room. Put them down, figure out where you are best at, and then get you an appointment here, get your appointment there, or get your information and put it together. But how do we get this message together? How do we put this together so that we can push it? Because like you said, the census is the recovery. It's the start of recovery. That's a powerful message right there. As soon as, as, soon as you said it, I was like, absolutely. That's it. That's it right there. Mm-hmm. But how do we get that? How do we put that out there? Mm-hmm. Organizing, 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 right? And I'm sure yeah. you know the representative can can speak to this, yeah. right? That, yeah. um, you know, and and you know, it's I mean, we can't go door door to door and knock on doors right now, but like, you know, in this moment where now we're having to to all be at home and everybody's online, what does organizing look like? Um, right. In this in this new situation where we need to be able to break break down messages to people and really clear. Um, easily understandable ways are we, you know, engaging in popular education, right, Um, Mm -hmm. where we're not coming at this from an academic perspective, right? We're bringing people from from different rungs of life that understand the issues and can talk about them, can talk about it from their own personal experience, you know, so folks can connect with that, right, like what it means to, to lose your job, and to lose your health care and why we can't have a system where your, your ability to access health care is tied to your job because what happens in a situation like this where you can't access health care we have a large segment of the population out of work. And so, so um, creating venues for people to share their stories and to talk one-on-one um, in, in, in a way that, that folks really understand and connect with I think is going to be important, right, um, you know, our policy is often like this wonky thing, right? And I, you know, I right. fall into that <laughs> that category, right? Um, and so, how do we how do we speak plain English and talk to folks 
um, and listen to people, right, because it can't just be one. You know, the, gone are the days of where we have one person leading us, right? Like there are problems right. with that leadership model. Right, um, exactly. So how, how do we, you know, help to facilitate, facilitate folks building power for themselves and for their communities? It is, it is, Jason, because um, it's one of those, it's, 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 it's one of those things where it, it just frustrates me. It pisses me off because it's coming into this game, and politics is a game. Coming into this game, uh, working for Willie Brown, I learned so much in in the, in the few short years I was with him, um, and then going to work for for President Clinton. I learned so much in that that short period of time because he was a master at. At, at the game of politics, but he was a master at governing what it was that he needed to do. He was always two or three yeah. steps ahead of his opponents yep. and what he was mm-hmm. doing in terms of strategizing and thinking. And so when I'm looking and I'm seeing people, I'm hearing what they're talking about, I'm sitting here, what are you thinking about? What, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And, and it's frustrating <laughs> for me because as long as we've been in this game, we still don't have the economic uh, leverage that we want or even from the social standpoint leverage that we want to try to do what we have to do politically. And it just irks me to no end because we allow things to slip by the wayside and think it doesn't matter. But in, you know, in retrospect, everything matters. Everything has a place. The the idea that uh, uh, McConnell wants states to go bankrupt, file bankruptcy. That's a strategy. Mm-hmm. That's a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Who who's going to say I want my state to go bankruptcy and then could declare bankruptcy so that you know something can happen? The idea that we're going to have and I and I pray to God we don't. But farmers are under um, cropping their their crop, killing. I, yesterday, Maryland and, and Delaware is going to kill too many chickens because they don't have anybody to to uh, process them, right? Uh, in Iowa and, and uh, the Midwest, they're uh, plowing over the corn. They're getting rid of all their, their soybeans and all this other stuff because they're saying they have nobody to take it to market. But yet you got mm. food lines for food banks right. that are going where you can literally go and take that food, donate it, and give it to those people because Trump gave $30 billion to farmers after the, the, the tariff just to keep them happy because he knew the majority of them was his people and they were in the Midwest, mm-hmm. $30 billion. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to come back and give them some more money. And even the $2 trillion that we've given out now, Fortune 500 companies are the ones that have been getting the, the dingo loan. That's getting the money. That's <laughs> they right. They don't even need. I mean, That's so, right. so, there, there, there needs to be a crafted understanding of what this game is all about, Jason. And unfortunately, yeah. our people, our folks don't necessarily want to pay attention because I know I talk to brothers and sisters. I ain't with that. I ain't, I ain't with no politics. Yeah. I, or yeah. I'm not, I, I'll vote, but I'm not really, you know, politics ain't, ain't, ain't for me. It's not, do you not yeah. know that you're involved in it, whether you want to be or not, that you are either casualty of war there's 200,000 I talked about in my intro, or you are an actual activist and, and agent to where you can be the chief lieutenant of change in the dynamics of the war itself. Yeah. I mean, so many of us have lost sight of, um, uh, you know, the, the idea that we're not playing checkers. You know, this is chess. And, and, and it's a good game of chess. It's a big game of it's chess. It's a good game. This is like a tournament. I, I, this what, is like, you know, you got rounds. 
Yeah, and virtually what happens is we haven't learned how to, number one, build the team with the right people to get us where we need to go. And then sometimes it's so easy to pick us off because we come, like you said before, it's so easy to dismantle uh, our community because we already fractured to a certain degree. And so what happens is uh, people like you, Dr. The Dr. Lubin and myself, at some point you get tired of fighting. You go, you know what, I've been doing this for a long, so I don't know how long, you Negroes ain't listening. At some point, i got to take care of me and my family. And as soon as that mentality pops into play, then we lose the momentum of good people who are not doing this stuff for themselves. You know what right. I mean? And so right. it's like this, we have to educate. I've said this a lot of times. If I throw a party, everybody and their mama show up. Doc, if you throw a Just free health <laughs> you know, but if you do something that's free and tell us to come out, you know, we maybe we get 20, 30 people. That's good. Exactly. I teach financial literacy. Y'all, I, I can't drag people to the, to the conference. You know, but but so if you charge them, and if you get and you charge them, and you get some paper to come by, you know, some white paper they to come by, they'll be right there. It's like, oh, white paper said, come on through. I'm gonna come on through. Let me let me be real. Let me say no, 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 because you know this is black politics today. White folks can come up into our community and ask us to do whatever the heck we want them to do, and we will do it. Black folks come up and live in our community, live right next door. We're gonna ask them a hundred questions. Uh, yeah, well, what you going to do? How you going to do it again? We get mad at the pastor for buying a new car, but we won't even pay tithes. Okay? I'm just, I'm just sick of this. <laughs> just, I mean, and you talk about parties. Chicago, Dr. Lubin, 200 goddamn people up in a darn house party talking about, girl, come on out. It's going to be over by the time you get here, but it's crowded. Why in the hell are we going to party in a house? And why are we on California beaches? You know, sitting there talking about putting on suntan lotion. What are we thinking about? Now, Chicago, that was us. And California, that's my home state. That was the mother folks. Them, them white folks out there on the beaches. Because I don't know too many black folks sitting out suntan. Uh, they don't like us half the time, but they want to get as dark as we are. Uh, why are we sitting up in a house in Chicago, elbow to elbow, sipping on gin and juice at a house party? Knowing that the mayor has already told them keep they behinds at home, oh. Dr. Lubin. I'm sorry, that was you, it was rhetorical, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those yeah, things like I mean, this. I want you to I want you to take it from the standpoint of what what Jason was saying is that how do we? I mean, it's it's organizing, but. There needs to be a real concerted effort. I, I think the three of us need to get together um, after the show and things of that nature and, and come up with some some ideas either through the, the talk show, my magazine, through Cure, through what you're doing, because you got the financial piece, uh, Jason. Dr. Lubin has the, the, the medical and the, and the advocacy piece and, and, and sociology piece, and then I got the platform of the radio and the magazine but uh, yep. we have to do something and put something out there where we can start getting these folks. Because the truth of the matter is we have probably about four months to five months to really put something together. Because um, yep. August, September, October, from September, October to November, those are going to be probably lost months. Because if we get back to anything, the, the, the campaigns and all those things are going to be revving up and things are going to happen and everybody's going to jump in. But they're going to be following whatever 
diagram they've gotten at that point. But we still need to have sort of like a second tier understanding of what still needs to happen in our community. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, regardless, our community is going to lose out. Even if Biden wins, we could still lose out because we have not That's put true. ourselves in position to actually be at the table. So we still yeah. need to do something to make sure that we have something even in the end if there is nothing. Because God forbid Trump does get reelected, oh, hell, we all better go to Canada. It's going to be crazy. Well, I'm I'm on board for getting together and figuring what we can do. We're actually here. We're having a, a, a webinar next week to engage some of these questions, right? We're going to have a couple of organizers um, uh, on this webinar, a couple of public health folks reporting from Detroit, from New Orleans, um, giving us some on the ground, uh, an on the ground report. But also, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be focusing a good part of that conversation about what we need to be asking for and what does the organizing need need to look like? Because even though we're still in this emergency crisis moment, right? We need we need to be to to be doing that, thinking about what does the short term and what does the long term response need to look like. And speaking of that, even with the VA, because we had this the, the the study this study was released uh, post treatment of these patients that were given the hydrochloroquine, and uh, they mm-hmm. found that more people died than didn't uh, who were given it, as, and and there hasn't been a call out, wow. although I did tweet it out earlier, uh, of the uh, demographics of who received that uh, hydrochloroquine, because they yeah. just you know arbitrarily decide they're going to give it to some people. And apparently, uh, either 28% or 28 people or 30 people died who had been given the hydrochloroquine, but then those who were not given it survived. Those, those people lived. And I, when I heard that, I said, okay, so what were the demographics? What were the demographics of those veterans that were given it? And, you know, were, were they African-Americans? Were they white? You know, how old were they, et cetera, et cetera. I sent out a tweet to, to, to them saying, look, well, what are they? But Clearly, me and, and, and everyone else, somebody needs to ask that question uh, when the senators or Congress members need to ask that question, uh, what were the demographics of that? Because there's been no indication that anyone approved that, that anyone said, yeah, I want that. They just took it upon themselves at some point in time and gave that out. And we don't know if it was before or after um, uh, test tube said something. Um, so the idea of that, it's out there. We want to try to, I think we should certainly investigate and find out when that happened and what happened with that and, and see what, uh, see what's, see the, what the results are. What is your, what is your feeling about that doctor? Yeah. So you raised an important question about clinical trials, even though I don't think that particular study was a, a clinical trial. So, so what's happening now, because like we're in an emergency situation, you know, they're, they're doing some large scale studies. Um, but they're not necessarily clinical trials, but that's what's coming up down the pike, right? And there actually are some clinical trials that have already been, that have already started, right, particularly around vaccination, but also that they need to look at what the different treatment options are. And so mm-hmm. before coronavirus, there were, we didn't have a, hard, a, a significant, we, it's always been hard to recruit black people into clinical trials, and we need to have more black people participate in clinical trials. But one of the downsides, um, there was already a high level of medical mistrust in our community, and for good reason, right? right? There's a right, long exactly. 
history right. of history. medical and scientific abuse of, of black people. And so we do need to pay attention to that. But we also don't want to be left out of these studies because we need to be a part of them to understand um, how these drugs work and to make sure that we are in a position to receive um, treatments that may be effective. Um, and so we don't want to, um, to to count ourselves out of this important part of, of, of medicine, right? But, you know, this is also part of the response, right, that we have to lift up, we have to support, we have to train uh, black doctors and nurses and public right. health professionals right. because we, we, need, we need black professionals to serve black patients. We know that there is a difference in terms of the quality of care and how black patients feel um, when they uh, receive treatment from a black physician as opposed um, to a white physician. So these things matter, um, cultural, um, uh, cult culturally relevant and responsive care. Um, is critical um, as we're moving forward, especially when we have these cases of people being turned away. Um, and so we're going in with our guards up. And so we want to make sure that this that the medical system is positioned to be able to, to, to care for us. We already know now, right, that um, we're at a particularly higher risk um, uh, to catch COVID-19 and to have the more deadly or, deadly or severe severe forms of it. And so there needs to be an investment in public public health infrastructure in um, community community health, right, training community health workers um, to be in our community that comes from our community, that understands the different nuances um, of our local um, black communities, um, and to support, you know, public, public health physicians and doctors um, and, and, and to start early, right, in terms of because right. that, that's where young people get derailed. Um, and so we have yeah. to start early in investing in young people that are interested um, in the medical in the medical field. All right. Uh, I'm going to uh, take a caller uh, here and uh, to a, go ahead, caller. You're on the air. Yes, I appreciate your taking my call. This is Brother Mike. I'm sorry, caller. Go ahead. Say that again. Hello, caller. Okay, I'm, I'm going to wait and see if he comes back. Uh, Jason, um, looking look, looking um, forward with this man. Um, what are you guys going to be doing for the for this election coming up on the twelfth and, and mobilizing? Um, how are you? Yeah. What, what's 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 happening? What's going on? How do we get uh, the people in place that we need in place so we can get the policy in place that we need so that we can do what we need to do? Um, what is it? What is it that uh, you guys are doing, and and how are you guys moving forward there in Milwaukee or in Wisconsin? So one of the things is, uh, yeah. So one of the things is number one. Uh, so I've decided that I'm not going to be running for re-election, but I have groomed uh, a replacement, uh, African American woman, great great individual, and so I think that's something where we always fall short, that we don't have a pipeline to come in. Uh, mm -hmm. Two, working with a lot of the organizations to, number one, uh, since our last show, talk about the census, because like you said before, we, we're still not, that's still not getting the traction that yeah, we need to be getting right happening. now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and 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 after listening to the two of you, it, it just, it hits home just how vital 
know, that's our comeback. That's our opportunity to regain and right. pick up some momentum during this pandemic. Right. And if we miss right. this opportunity, man, uh, then this, you know, it, it'll be a detriment to our community. So one, picking up on that, we're doing more uh, organized with some of our community organizers uh, where we're talking about, you know, just what are we going to do for these upcoming elections? Uh, mm-hmm. Because we don't want the same thing to happen that happened now. And so right. right now there are several lawsuits that's going on, but I'll tell you this, um, more community members are now engaged because, unfortunately, they we got caught, man, to be honest, with our pants down a little bit because, you know, when, when they made their move, we weren't ready for it. And so mm-hmm. now more community activists and organizers are going, okay, we need to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen and what's our game plan. So we're talking a lot, um, meeting with people via Zoom. Um, there was just an appointment to the Wisconsin Election Commission that was made, I want to say recently, a guy who's sympathetic to our cause. We're meeting with the – we have an African-American woman who's uh, – she's on the commission. She's on the election commission. Uh, quite honestly, they're talking about, you know, her duties and what will happen because there's some people who – uh, felt slighted because at one point she recused herself from some of the controversy, and um, mm-hmm. that that didn't that just I'll just say this: uh, the, the reaction from the community was, uh, "We need you in these positions right. to help in instances like this." To act, yeah. unless you had and, a and, personal conflict, yeah. you need to act exactly and stop being scared. Yeah. Otherwise, get off the board yeah. and put somebody else on there. We have to stop being yeah, scared so, about making decisions yeah. and making points because we want to be friends with everybody. No, no, no. No permanent yeah. enemies, so no that, permanent allies, permanent interests. Okay? Yes, that's it. And so that, that discussion is going on because it rubs a lot of members in the community the wrong way. Absolutely. Uh, and and as, as we get ready to close out here, Dr. Lubin, um, I wanted to t- get your perspective on Van Jones's uh, op-ed piece in, uh, with CNN about um, African-Americans taking more personal responsibility for their health, uh, notwithstanding the racial disparities and institutional racism and things of that nature, but saying that uh, part of our underlying conditions is our, our uh you know, partially our own fault, partially uh, the fault of the institutional racism and disparities and um, uh, lack of of um, fresh foods and things of that nature. Uh, he's gotten a lot of pushback uh, from a lot of folks. What's what's your opinion on that? And where where is he right and where is he wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I haven't seen the op-ed. What's interesting was I think it was last week, right? He was really clear about how you know, these, some of these governors, particularly the southern governors rushing to open up the country, right, was going to put um, black folks' lives at risk, right? So so I think it's been clear in terms of some of the structural issues, right, in ter- that underlie health, health right. inequities. Um, I didn't hear see the op-ed. I do think we have to be careful, right, um, in terms of, you know, oftentimes there's a knee-jerk reaction to want right. to say that it's, it's, it's uh, black people are not taking personal responsibility. I haven't mm-hmm. seen any evidence um, that black people are not um, social distancing or taking care of themselves. Now we know there are some structural reasons why. Well, I think he was talking more about like the, 
I'm sorry. I think he was talking more about the hypertension, the diabetes, and things of that nature, more of our mm-hmm. eating habits, more of like what we do, not exercise, and things of that nature, because those underlying conditions, then getting sick with COVID advances our, our, our fatality rate. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pushback was that, well, you have to think about the food deserts. You have to think about, you know, the, the fact that we don't have access in our community to health care, proper health care, where we can actually deal with some of these health disparities. So he was saying that, and in part, because of the hypertension, diabetes, high blood pressure, things of that nature, those things are the reason why once we get COVID, the, the, okay. the uh, mortality rate is high. Uh, but he was also saying that the institutional racism, the structural uh, uh, racism that we have to deal with, the structural barriers are contributing to that. But his, but the I think the, the the majority of the people who commented were saying that his emphasis was more on our personal responsibility as opposed to the structural racism, meaning that if we were healthy, even though that was there, we would be able to survive. I think that's the way it was mm-hmm. coming off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so and even with these underlying conditions, right? They're they're tied to structural racism, right? Like the food deserts and 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 not having. Um, access to affordable, healthy foods in your neighborhood, um, the residential segregation, the overcrowding and substandard housing, right, um, that are, you know, one of these things are linked to these underlying conditions. I think whenever when we're talking about health, right, you know, we, you know, we, we started this conversation, I think we, we all three of us agree and, and, and understand, right, that, you know, in large part, the health particularly at the population level, right, when you look at the black population, right, the reason why we have the poor health status that we have is tied to structural things. Um, it's tied to access. It's tied to systemic inequity, right? We had a system in this country where you had a se- separate and unequal health care, right, that there were yeah. concerted efforts to ensure that black people didn't receive the same level of care. That has always been the case in this country, and we still – you know, have the remnants of that system. Um, right. Um, but when we're talking about health, there's always a, a, particularly if you have underlying conditions, there's always a, a self-care conversation that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's how these conversations often are framed. It's often framed as yeah. like victim blaming and us not taking responsibility. But we can have a conversation about self-care because we, we especially with the way that things are right now with coronavirus, where, uh, you know, people still aren't being treated unless you have you have the severe versions of it. And so there, I think there's space for a conversation about what all, all of us can do to take care of ourselves if we notice that we have symptoms. Um, because in, in the majority of the cases, you're probably going to be treating yourself, right, from home. Mm-hmm. Um, from home. And so... You know what? What are those? What are those things that work? You know, I mean, I, I keep I keep touting, you know, Haitian remedies. Like, you know, you know, you know, that's that's my background. So there, you know, there are those things that people, <laughs> you know, there are things that we, you know, that we know, right? Like, 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 you need to be um, you know, not not putting yourself in a, a situation, and also family members and friends also to be to be to be looking out for those who 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 are are, are medically vulnerable. 
Um, and so I think um, oftentimes it ends up like in the way the Surgeon General framed it, right, a few weeks ago, it ends up being victim blaming, especially Correct. when we need to be paying attention to the structures. Like, paying attention to what's going on. The, yeah, if we can affect yeah. the systemic ways in which, you know, our health is impacted, then I think, and, and that actually, the data that shows that the large percentage, 50%, of the health of a community is explained by environmental and social and economic conditions. It's only about 30 or 40 percent that explain through individual behavior and what happens in the healthcare setting. Mm. So, uh, Jason, how, how do we as African Americans recover from this? If if we do, uh, will we? Yeah. How do we position ourselves socially, economic, and politically? Uh, give it to me quick so I can so I can get to our yeah. last question for you guys. I think I think number one is to make a game plan of where you at now, where you want to be financially. Right now, I tell everybody you should start looking at saving, and investing, and putting money away because you're actually at a point where you ain't spending as much money now because we ain't really going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, politically, again, election. Look at the person who has the best strategy to get us forward. Socially, mm-hmm. again, we need to work on being safe right now, and I think this is the time for us to get everything together. This is a reset button for us all. You can take the time out to get financially, spiritually, mentally, and physically fit right now in the middle of this chaos, brother. So what's at stake for us, man? Tell, tell me, tell me uh, what's at stake and how we can get in touch what's, with you, how we can follow you, and, and, and give us all the social media information we need for you. Yeah, what's at, st- what's at stake is we either continue with the same leadership from a top-down approach with this crazy number 45 president uh, who only have cronies and people that's following his suit, or we can start ushering in people who are a lot better than that on both the federal and state and local levels. Uh, you can reach me at Jason Fields, uh, Uh That's my, my book author's. But phone number, 414-308-2680. Email address, jmfields1906 at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well, Jason M. Fields. All right, that's 414-308-2680, 414-308-2680. J.M. Fields 7, I believe it is, is uh, uh, your email, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Yep, at gmail.com. Okay, at gmail.com. Dr. Uh, Ruben, thanks for joining us tonight. What's at stake for us, and how can we get in touch and follow you? So our lives are at stake, right? Our lives and our livelihoods are at stake, and so we have to name what we see operating in uh, COVID-19. Um, we're seeing, you know, systemic racism in full display. Um, and so the way that we dismantle systemic racism is through policy and structural change. And so um, we have to, you know, get an agenda, get clear on our agenda and, and fight for it. So I can be reached. I'm on Twitter at Judy Lupin, J-U-D-Y-L-U-B as in boy, I-N. Folks can also find me um, at urban and racial equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y dot O-R-G, urban and racial equity dot O-R-G. I want to thank my guests tonight for joining me and sharing uh, their insight and expertise. Black America, this virus is no joke. It's serious, and underlying disparities really make it an issue we all need to take seriously. I have no remorse for people who know the consequences and still choose to act irresponsibly. 200 people 
going to a house party and putting it on Facebook Live in Chicago is absolutely stupid. Not to mention the ignorant folks out in California jumping on a beach out there suntanning and sunbathing, and the fools in Georgia going to get a haircut and their nails done while wearing a mask. It makes no darn sense. Get you a, a, um, a whale, take your butt home, and cut your own darn head. All right? And most of those people in Florida. I won't feel sorry for the South Dakota uh, governor if she goes to the meatpacking plant and she gets corona because her butt should have closed down South Dakota and she wouldn't have a thousand cases at the darn meatpacking plant. But now she's put everyone into a food hazard. So now we don't know what's going to happen or where it's going to go. Healthcare, as Dr. Rubin noted, racial bias, limited access, healthcare disparity, not to mention the lack of testing for African Americans is a crisis for us. And we cannot continue to move forward in that way. We have to be mindful. And if you don't want to experience, and unfortunately, uh, we've had to, the, the realization that Raina uh, Mugens passed away today. I had her in my opening because she was the case in which I wanted all of us to recognize that she had to go back to the doctor three times to get tested. And when she finally got tested, she was near death. And today we find out she's passed away. We don't need more African-Americans in that situation. We have to do what we have to do. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to social distance. We have to do everything that is necessary and required of us to do it. A little bit of uncomfortability today prevents a whole lot of life for tomorrow. So forego all the few hours you need to hang out with your boys or girls or get your nails done or do whatever else. Do what everyone else is doing. Have a, uh, what is it called, a, a, uh, internet happy hour or uh, a, a Facebook happy hour. Do it that way. You can still toast and see your friends and do it that way because you need to know what's at stake. And as we found out tonight, life is at stake. Thanks again to my guests, Dr. Judy Lubin and Dr. Represent- and Representative uh, Jason Fields. My brother, I appreciate you uh, again. Uh, my sister, Likewise. I appreciate you. And I will certainly be emailing both of you uh, offline and trying to get together so we can make sure we do something together to try to get this message out, let people know that the census is going to be our reset. I love that, Dr. Rubin. We can do that, push it out. And we got to do something up there in Wisconsin for you, my brother, because I am tired of seeing them people doing what they do. I'm just tired, tired, tired. (laughs) So until next week, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today. Mm-hmm.